You're listening to the John Clark Cast, formerly the Private Practice Workshop Podcast. My name is John Clark. I'm a licensed therapist and a brand builder, marketing consultant, and a guide for therapists trying to build a better business without all the overwhelm. So glad you're here today. I hope you enjoy the episode. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the show. Hope you guys are doing well today. Um, I want to tell you about something important real quick, which is that I have a couple slots left in one of our Business Made Human Mastermind groups. This is a chance for you to get to work with me every single week in the community of other therapists who are going through the same kinds of things that you are going through right now. Um, This group is about advancing your business um, with weekly help being part of a community that cares, being part of a mastermind group that is intentionally affordable, and having access to the information you need. I know that as we move along in private practice, uh, things can get pretty lonely. And all the more reason why you need community, especially when you're at the top, especially when you are the leader of your practice. So uh, I'd love to talk to you about joining the group. It starts August 30th, so I've got to fill these slots um, really within the next couple of days, meaning between now and Wednesday. Uh, So if you think you're interested, get in touch right away. Go to thejohnclark.com forward slash work with me. Fill out the application there, and we'll find a time to talk and get you started. Um, Just a couple slots left. So, um, again, I'd love to have you join us. Um, it's, a, it's a great opportunity. And once these groups are full, uh, I, I predict they will be full for quite some time. So uh, don't miss your chance to be a part of what we're doing. Go to thejohnclark.com forward slash work with me. All right. Uh, I'm sitting here. I'm still in Paris. I wish you guys could see me because you get a kick out of it. I'm sitting on the couch. There's no good place to sit here and record an episode. So I'm sitting here and I have pillows stacked on top of me, like on top of my lap and chest, so that my mic will reach my mouth and it looks ridiculous. I look like I'm trying to hide, but I'm really not. I look like I'm building a pillow fort around me and just just happen to start podcasting at the same time, you know, or like someone else tried to hide me with pillows and then um, at the last second they put a podcast mic on the very top. And we're like, all right, we'll be back in 40 minutes after your episode. And I'm like, what? Um, so that's my situation right now. I'm, I'm no video this week. <laughs> no, no podcast video this week for obvious reasons. Um, so you're just going to have to, to enjoy the, the, the visual in your mind of my situation. And another warning, if, this, if and when this microphone falls down, tumbles to the ground, uh, I'm sorry, or I'll have Laura edit it out, but um, this is just a situation we're in. This is what happens when you're traveling and you got to keep keep the show going. The show must go on. Oh, it's about to fall down. Let's see if I can save it. Oh, yep. So yeah, this is this is what happens when you when your show on the road right now, but you got to keep keep things alive, right? Um, still in Paris having a great time, really wonderful time. I have a couple more um, Paris observations. These are really about uh, beverages, 
um, mostly coffee and beer, which is really all I need in life. Um, okay, let's start with coffee. I don't think I talked about this last time. Um, finding the coffee that is for me has been a real adventure here. Um, you know, Parisians mostly drink, uh, espressos. They drink espressos. That's uh, a very, very European thing to do. And, um, so it's just a, usually a shot of espresso, which it, you just say an espresso. Now there's a hundred variations of espresso and I'm convinced that they're called different things at different, um, restaurants and little cafes that are literally on every block of the city. Um, case in point, I was at a cafe the other day and I went in and then the menu said espresso, uh, elongé, which is like a long espresso. Um, it's basically an American version of an Americano, which is already getting confusing. So stick with me. So I wanted an elongé. And so I asked, I said, I pointed to it and it said like espresso, uh, elongé, something in the middle. Um, and so I pointed, I said, I would like one of those, or I said that in French. And she said, well, which one do you want? They're two different things. And I, and I'm literally pointing to the item on the menu and it says it's one thing and it's one euro 90 or something like that. And I'm like, Oh, well, it looks like it's one thing here, but I just want an elongé. Um, and she gave me all sorts of attitude, another French stereotype, uh, Parisian, sorry, Parisian stereotype, I should say, got to be more, more clear. And, um, and ultimately she just gave me whatever the hell she wanted to give me, which is basically my, my time ordering coffee in Paris and beer, which is coming up in a second. So, um, ultimately I basically got an Americano, which is just a shot of espresso with some steamed water in it, which is fine. It's the closest thing I can get to drip coffee. And obviously I'm being very, uh, ethnocentric here and, um, trying to get my American coffee the way that I like it. I'm, I'm very aware of that, but also, I don't care because it's what I like and it's funny to be picky about little things like coffee. So I do love an espresso and it's a very utilitarian thing. You just drink the espresso. It's like a shot, um, but you sip it or whatever. I did hear that in Italy, they do take it like a shot, which cracks me up. And sometimes I do that. It's not the worst thing. It's just, you're just kind of getting the job done and moving on with your life. And also, I'm also convinced because there's a real lack of toilets or toilettes here in Paris, um, that that's why they drink espressos too. So you don't have to go to the bathroom every 12 minutes like you do when you drink drip coffee. Along the same lines, I've had two people text me while I'm here uh, because they heard in the U.S. news or in the, in, in the worldwide news that Paris has these new port like urinals on the street, which is basically like a trash can that it's okay to pee in, which also cracks me up. Um, so I've had multiple people reach out and be like, "Hey, have you seen? Have you seen one of these? Um, I'm gonna, you know, you should let me know if you see one of these. This looks hilarious. I'm like, I'll definitely let you know." Um, and yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much it. I don't really know where I was going with that other than, yeah. So an espresso, I, I think that's another reason why you don't have to go to the bathroom every 12 minutes. So, um, basically it's just an, it's just an adventure every time I order something, which is that I order something and I think I know what I'm getting and then I get something kind of a surprise. So that's pretty fun. I was at a cafe that last week here and, um, I was drinking a beer and if you follow me on Instagram at the John Clark, um, 
it was like a Duff's beer, which is the freaking beer from the Simpsons. So I also didn't know if like this, they're being for real or if they're mocking Americans and I'm paying, you know, seven euro for it, like a schmuck. Um, still unclear to, to be determined. Um, but it was like this really cool hipster bar cafe, like brunch spot. So I was really confused why they had this beer. They had that and they had a soul, which is a Mexican beer. I'm very well versed in Mexican beers. Um, in part from my time there and my love of Mexico and, and all things Mexico. And uh, so they had those two beers, but then, anyway, I had that beer, I had a little snack and then the woman had made some extra an extra espresso and gave that to me. And that was by far the best espresso I've had in Paris. And I told her that I was like, this is the best espresso I've had in Paris so far. And she's like, it it tastes even better when it's free, doesn't it? And I was like, you're you're darn tootin'. It does. So that was really neat. And, uh, you know, had a fun interaction with, with that barista. She was really friendly. So, um, I've definitely run into more unfriendly Parisians since we last spoke a week ago. Um, so that's, that's definitely happening more. I'm more aware of it. And now that I've had just more interactions overall here and more time spent, you definitely see and, and meet some, uh, some pretty rude people and you just move on, you know, it's just very transactional and, um, you know, there's, there's no tipping here. So yeah, they're not going to go out of their way to, to, to kind of, you know, shower you with niceties that we would do in the U S it's very much like, listen, I'm not happy to be here, you know, serving you whatever, serving you what you, trying to serve you American coffee, even though we don't have American drip style coffee here, but let's get this over with. Also, if I try any harder, I'm not going to earn any more money. So why would I try harder? I get it. Totally get it. But I've had more of those interactions. So, you know, getting the full effect, getting the real experience here. All right. Promise some, is something beeping? If it's beeping, I'm very sorry. I don't know if that is on my end. Or if so, what it would be. There's really no telling. It's also what happens when you're a city. There's just noises constantly around you, which is not not my favorite part of being in any city of any kind. Uh, But I'm not just going to talk about, I'm not just going to ramble about coffee and beer. this whole episode, I promise. Speaking of beer though, I I will say the other mix up is I'm still trying to figure out what is a real pint. They measure things in centiliters, which I didn't know was a thing. Um, centiliters and you can get like basically a full pint or what is essentially a half pint or a demi, um, which is like a half pint, which is a brilliant idea and really nice. If you, um, just want half a beer, you don't want too much beer or whatever. You also look a lot more civilized drinking like this skinny little beer, you know, it's like when you eat really thin cookies and you're like, oh, they're thin. They're not going to, you know, these aren't going to be bad for me. I can have 17. <laughs> so I think it's kind of like that as well. You look just a little more dignified. And so basically I'm still trying to figure out what a pint is. I think a pint is around 50 centiliters, but I've asked multiple people. They all have, they all give me really unclear answers similar to the coffee experience. So I think it really, it's just very loose. It's kind of like, just depends. And then someone else said it depends on the beer and it depends on the glass that the beer is going to come in. Cause a lot, a lot of times if you order a certain beer, it comes in that specific glass, which is awesome. It's very, I love that little detail. You're not going to see that in the U S quite as much. So, um, there's just a lot of variables, 
you know, and it kind of cracks me up. So, um, there, there probably is not a hard and fast rule to any of it, but I figured out roughly what a pint is and then how to order a half pint as necessary. So I guess I'm set. I'm in, I'm in pretty good shape. Um, I will get caffeine and alcohol in some form or fashion with some combination of words. So anyway, guys, all right. So today we're talking about a few things. Um, I want to talk about some things that I learned from watching the street vendors in Paris here and could be applied to street vendors anywhere. And then we're going to go over some listener questions and then, uh, and then that'll be it. So it'll be uh, maybe a little bit shorter of an episode today. Let's see. That's 12, I've just did 12 minutes of shenanigans. So better get into it. Um, so I made this video and I just put it on YouTube last night. So if you haven't already go to YouTube, um, look me up and watch this video. Um, in fact, let me, I'll make a, I'll make a link for this. So let's do the John Clark.com forward slash Paris, uh, for the Paris video. So I'll make that, make that link a little bit later, make a note for myself to do it. Um, let's see. So a couple things I learned when I was sitting out in front of the Eiffel Tower the other day, and there's, there's these guys that sell these trinkets just like any city, right? But in front of the Eiffel Tower, they've always done this. And when I was here like five years ago, same guys selling the same crap and not selling very many of them. But they sell these little trinkets of the Eiffel Tower. And also you can get in keychain form. You can get one that's bigger, that lights up. And they carry them on these big rings. So they have literally like a hundred of them on a ring. And then they come up to you and try to sell them to you. And you say no. And, uh, and then you walk away. Um, and I was thinking, I was talking to, um, my wife and I was like, I would love to just sit down with these guys and have like 10 minutes with them to, to strategize and teach them about some really basic, you know, kind of business ideas that would go a long way for them. So in this YouTube video, I talk about those things while standing somewhat in front of the Eiffel Tower. Um, a couple things. Number one, you have a kind of a flooded market right? So you have way too much product and not enough demand. So that's very simple economics. I don't, I don't know a lot about economics, but that's a very simple principle. That equation is just simply off, right? You don't have enough people demanding enough of these trinkets to be carrying around a hundred of them. That's your, that's your first problem. So you need, you need to fix that. You need to actually look at what is in demand for the market. That would be step one. Step two is really a basic kind of sales principles would be that if you are going to sell those trinkets, don't have a hundred of them. There's been studies that show if you go in and let's say they have um, three different kinds of ballpoint pens and one kind, they have five pens and the second kind, they have five pens. And then the third kind, there's only one left. Well, guess what? people are statistically more likely to pick that one left because it's almost gone. So there's that scarcity. There's that urgency that is created to get the last one. And there's that sense of this is clearly a popular item. So I should go along with it. Same thing for, for this item. Um, so just something as simple as that, something as simple as if, if you are going to have a hundred of them, maybe don't have a hundred of them on, you know, in, on display the whole time. I think that also creates decision fatigue for people and it overwhelms them to, to the point where they feel like I've got to choose between a hundred of these slightly different little trinkets and they're all the same. Um, ultimately, 
you know, I think people want to feel special when they make a purchase of any kind, whether that's choosing a therapist or buying a trinket. They want to feel special. There's nothing special about buying one of a hundred of the same looking, you know, Eiffel Tower trinkets. Um, so I think that's the other thing to think about. If you are going to sell those, have a few of them, have just a couple different options, maybe two or three price points and show people literally just a couple options. Uh, also along the lines of sales, I would say, you know, and, and again, I say this a lot with therapy. When you're, when you're, when people are looking for a therapist, you want to get in front of the people that already have their wallet out, so to speak that, you know, and again, if I go to the mall and I'm in a sunglasses and I go right to the sunglasses store, I'm clearly looking to buy sunglasses, right? So I'm already kind of pre-sold, right? I'm already in engaged and kind of primed to make a purchase. I think you want to approach, approach it in a similar way for, for these street vendors. That's part of why these street vendors are really struggling to sell is that these people aren't primed to buy. And in fact, it feels invasive when you come up to them and you're like, Hey, you want to buy this thing? It's like, well, no, I'm just trying to, you know, drink my beer on the lawn or whatever it is. So I would say, you know, if you're going to be out there, set up an area where you and other vendors can be for the people who are likely to shop, who already have their wallets out or will get them out um, easily and will be, they're, they're looking to spend some money. So that would be the other thing. Now, in terms of marketing, these guys need to be out there and they need to create some unique value within their market. So what that would look like, and they can all work together. There's like 50 of them that all are carrying the same exact item, hundreds of the same item. Um, you can also work together, but you need to have one guy who sells the Eiffel Tower trinkets and then one guy who sells the flag, the, the, you know, the, the French flag, whatever. And then one guy that sells the t-shirts, right. And follow these same principles that I've just outlined. But, um, so you need, you need basically to think about category design. You need to be the guy who sells the Eiffel Tower things and you can all share and prosper in you the profit of approaching things this way right you can all have a smaller piece of the pie but that that piece is going to be more significant for each person and for everyone so differentiate yourselves that would be kind of the next thing and listen i know there's i'm i'm aware i'm just like coming into this world i clearly don't know what it's like to be a street vendor i know there's socioeconomic you know, uh, uh, layer to this that I'm well, well aware of. And that's also part of why I want to help address it because I'm like, these guys could do really well and they're extremely, um, motivated and out there at all hours of the day, you know, trying to make these sales. So just, just a couple principles would go a long way for them. But again, I know that there's, there's privilege in me sitting here under a pile of pillows with a, you know, a nice microphone talking, you know, in this apartment about, um, how street vendors could do better. But again, I just think it's, it's an interesting and unique, um, situation to look at business in the real world. You know, I just think it's interesting. And I really do. I thought the same, same thing when I was in Mexico and meeting different business owners there and just going into shops and restaurants and stuff like that and thinking, wow, I could really just, if I could just share 10 minutes of, you know, what I know with these business owners, I think it could go a long way for them. So that's, that it does come from a genuine place of like wanting to help and seeing, thinking it would be cool to have that kind of business, um, outreach. I just think that would be, that would be really neat. So 
anyway, there's a caveat. I'm, I'm aware of the, um, the social justice layer here. Um, and that's, that's there. So, um, again, from the marketing perspective, well, I'll say this and again, thinking about category design and having each vendor own their own category. If I think about, um, when I lived in San Francisco and if you've ever been to Dolores park, then you'll know what I'm talking about. Dolores Park is where all the cool kids hang out during the day, in the afternoon, whatever. You can drink there. You can do more than drink there, whatever you want to do. But there's a guy that comes around and he, there's one guy that sells basically fresh coconuts. He chops them off the top off with a machete, just part of the experience. And then he pours a little out or, or you drink a little bit of it and then he fills it back up with rum. And it's amazing. You know, it's a novelty. He's the only guy out there doing that for a reason, right? He's the, he's the coconut guy. Um, now, then you have the truffle guy. The truffle guy sells these chocolate truffles that have marijuana in them. He is the only truffle guy. In fact, there's an HBO show called Looking. He's on that show as a truffle guy because he's just that prolific, you know? He's that, uh, he just owns that category. When he comes around, everyone knows him as a truffle guy. He doesn't need to branch out and try to sell, be the coconut guy as well, right? But anyway, the two of them operating like that in the same market um, works really well and they can, they can, you know, sell harmoniously, so to speak. That sounds weird. But um, what I'm saying is that everyone wins, right? And in your mind, you know, truffle guy is the truffle guy, coconut guy is the coconut guy. Clearly, they, they have other names than that, but that's how we know them. And again, if you live in San Francisco or listening or, or hang out in Dolores Park or have been, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Who knows what their names are? But you know that they own those categories in Dolores Park, and that's pretty cool. So that demonstrates the the concept. So again, if you're going to sell in in front of the Eiffel Tower, and there were uh, another 50 guys selling um, wine, the same kind of wine, and beer, the same kind of beer out of like similar buckets. Now that's great as well. But again, if they were to split up and have a guy selling tequila shots, have a guy selling coconuts with rum in them, even though it's, that's a hilarious thing to drink in front of the Eiffel Tower. This is like <laughs> so wildly not Parisian, but whatever it would work. Cause it's a novelty and it's fun and it's funny. So, but, but again, if they were to split up in that way and just have one guy who's selling the wine or him, you know, one guy who's selling the rosé and then one guy who's a champagne guy. Um, not only does it really build credibility, but um, it's just going to make sales that much easier, you know? So anyway, these are my thoughts. If you want to hear the full, see the full thing again, go to YouTube or go to the johnclark.com forward slash Paris um, to watch that video on YouTube. But these are just some things that I've thought about. Clearly I am talking about category design. I'm talking a bit about, um, niche and, um, which is highly, highly debated kind of subject in, um, in our world today and in private practice. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about that actually in one of these listener questions. So we should just get right into those. Um, let's get into listener questions. All right, guys. So if you want to submit a listener question, either go to, um, go to Instagram and just tag me or leave it in a comment on any thread and say, at the John Clark, my question for you is blah, blah, blah. And we'll answer it on the show. Otherwise, um, join the Facebook group. There's over 2000 members in our free Facebook group. 
um, and we'd love to have you there. It's very easy to uh, ask questions there, and that's where these questions are coming from. Facebook group is at thejohnclark.com forward slash FB group for Facebook, thejohnclark.com forward slash FB group. You'll answer a couple questions, and then Laura will um, approve you to the group or deny you if you're a fraud, either one, if you're not a therapist. Um, all right, that beeping sound is still somewhere in the background. I'm going to ignore it and hope that it's just in my head and not in my my microphone, but who knows? This is this is what happens again when you come come in live from Paris, France, um, in a city apartment. So, um, questions of the week. We're going to try to roll through four, and I haven't looked at these questions yet, but I'm going to. Um, well, I did glance at the niche one, so I know there's a niche one in here. Um, but I'm going to roll through these pretty quickly and pretty spontaneously. So here we go. Um, first question comes from Joanne Royer. I know you. Um, how her question is, how do you change your mindset around niching down at the thought that it won't cast a wide enough net? Awesome question. Right. And then again, this is coming right out of our talk about the Parisian vendors and how it applies to niching, niching down. Listen, you guys, a lot of you know that I have a unique and and still evolving opinion about niche in private practice. My general philosophy is that niching down can be very good if the niche comes naturally and you're okay with the rate of growth being potentially a bit slower. You're casting a smaller net to a smaller group of people, so it very well may take longer to find those people, okay? Ultimately, I think your niche is you. You are the one differentiating factor in your practice more than anything else, more than your training, certifications, whatever. Um, And I also think your niche is just a way to get people in the door, certain people in the door. Because at the end of the day, we all do a little bit of everything, Right, so if someone comes in to me to do EMDR for whatever a car accident, and we end up talking about anxiety, we end up talking about their drinking, their relationships a bit. So, I mean, I just think therapists get really freaked out about niche, and ultimately you have to decide for yourself. You know, that's my other kind of core philosophy with 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 business coaching is I'd want you to be able to make good decisions for yourself and to evaluate what's working. Right, so you should you should know that by now if you've been if you've been following along for a while. So, if you are niching down or niching narrowly, know why you're doing it. Know how to evaluate whether it's working for you. Okay, so um, Joanna, saying how do you change your mindset around niching down at the thought that it won't cast a wide enough net? Listen, you don't change your mindset. You commit to the mindset. You commit to what happens next as a result of niching down or niching down narrowly right? Understand that it, it very well may take longer to connect with a smaller group of people that you are targeting through your marketing. That's just it. So again, it's not really about changing mindset, um, to, to, you know, to, to deal with the fear of not casting a wide enough net. It's knowing that you're doing it and and committing to that anyway, if that makes sense. Um, Ultimately, you know, my my practice, my group practice is a general practice. Now, our branding is targeted around young professionals. We used to have, um, we used to target young professionals only and say, you know, evidence-based therapy for busy professionals or something like that. 
we eventually, I eventually expanded our tagline to be, we'll help you find calm again. And if you go to the site, you know, you'll see that things are branded in that direction. They're branded in terms of that's a universal thread that most people want to feel more calm in their lives. Cool. Let's brand around that. Let's brand around a look and feel and even the language in our website that is clearly geared toward, um, toward, toward everyone, but really adults, right? Really adults of, of any kind. Um, we have this kind of hipster vibe, which you're not going to be surprised by if you know me, this kind of hipster, young, almost like city vibe with our branding and our, uh, and, and our approach, our visual branding, especially. So, um, ultimately I, I just, I think you decide if, if a narrow niche is for you, don't force it if it's not coming to you naturally, and then commit to that direction. I think ultimately, um, and, and again, the more I learn about personal branding and see what personal branding has done for me, even since the launch of thejohnclark.com and uh, kind of killing off privatepracticeworkshop.com or moving away from that brand, it's done tremendous things for me. So again, the, there's too many therapists out there trying to get a quick answer through um through like a Facebook group. And, and, and this is not this case with Joanne's question. I'm glad she's asking it. I'm glad I can dive into some of the nuances of it. But you see how it's taken me the past four minutes to start answering this question and I still can't do it justice. That's because it's such a nuanced question and pretty much any question in private practice is super nuanced. You know, and so I, I, I hate when I see all these therapists out here, you know, asking for a question in a general Facebook group um, and, and just and taking that at face value. You know, it's like therapists who go, should I be blogging? Well, again, I need to ask you 10 more questions to give you an answer. And even when I give you that answer, the, the answer is still going to be, it depends. Can you measure it? <laughs> you know, what else are you doing? Do you know why you're blogging? Is it working for you? Etc. So it depends on so many different things. So should I niche down? It depends. I'd have to get to know you a bit. You know, I'd have to have to get to know you, uh, um, you know, at a deeper level, understand your context, your practice, how big you want your practice to be. You know, that's the other thing. You get a lot of therapists out there that are just trying to grow, let's say a 10 person, 10 client a week practice. Okay, cool. Good to know. Cause that's so different than those trying to grow a 30 session a week practice or a big group practice or whatever it is. So it just depends. But again, you got to learn to make decisions for yourselves out there. In, in private practice and get help when you need to. So that's one thing that I help with through individual coaching and through the business made human mastermind groups. So, um, man, I feel sassy today, huh? I've got, I've got some, some passion behind my answers, but I guess that's a good thing. Cause now you know that I care cause I do. All right. Um, Radmila, I know you as well asks, pros and cons of posting your fees on your website. This is a big one. And again, I could spend 30 minutes talking about this and really breaking it down. You got to figure out what works for you. Okay. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll I'll give an example. And this happened recently for a therapist whose fees could be a a breaking point for uh, a client considering therapy with them. You might take your fees down at least temporarily right? If you're just trying to get more people on the phone, more people in the door, and you know that your fees can be a turnoff for people. Okay. Um, you might, you might remove your fees so that you just get more people on the phone, knowing that hopefully your ability to convert once you get them on the phone is pretty good. 
knowing that the purpose of your website is really just to be like a landing page or a lead page and get people to take one action, which is to click or call or get in touch. From there, you continue the sales process. You warm them up on the phone for those 15 minutes, that free consult, whatever. You talk about ways you could help. You help them feel understood. And then if you know they want to work with you, then you get into talking about fees. That also allows you to... um, you know, that also allows you some wiggle room if you have a sliding scale or some, you know, some different fee, a tiered scale, a tiered, you know, system or whatever for your fees. And this is also mean that you, you are the one answering the phone. Um, if you want to just get people on the phone with your VA and let them do the selling, then, then, they, then again, you might take your fees off of your website. So, um, I would say if you are earlier on, or if you are still tr- needing to get more people in the door and more people, fill in those empty slots in your calendar. Um, probably taking your fees off is a, is a good idea. If you are in fact private pay and if the fees might be a make or break kind of deal for, for your clients, then maybe try taking them off for a while and try to just get more people on the phone so that you can do what you're good at, which is listen, validate, understand, help people feel comfortable, and then get them in for that first session and complete that sales process, that whole sales funnel. Um, now, the pros to... Um, posting your fees on your website would be it increases transparency. And when you do get leads, they're going to be more qualified leads, meaning hopefully they've looked at your fees and it's not a make or break for them. They're probably okay with it or generally okay with it. Um, and so that's going to be less of a sell, you know, when you get them on the phone. Um, you're not going to have that awkward moment where it's like, oh, by the way, my fee is X. And they're like, wow, that's unbelievable. I really want to work with you, but now I can't. Right, and then you're kind of stuck. So, yeah, the the major pro of having your fees listed it increases transparency, and it results in more qualified leads, right, um, that are already kind of pre-screened by information like your fees. So, try it both ways. You know, I'd say again, especially if you're earlier on or trying to fill those empty slots for now, maybe try having them off. Say something like, "Our fees are consistent with out of other out of network providers in our area." If you are private pay, uh, or something like that. If if your goal is just to get more people on the phone, um, so I would say I would say start there, and then eventually, if you are more full and you don't want as many leads, you're okay with getting fewer leads, but you want more qualified leads, then you might list your your fees on your website. But again, experiment with it, learn how to measure it, and um, and and be flexible. How much time we got? I say that as if there's like a timer going to go off at a certain minute, and then I'm like, oh, this is my show. Do what I want. I do what I want. I really do. Especially today, I'm really doing what I want. Maybe I'm feeling childlike under all these pillows. Who knows? Um, all right. Next question. This is our, uh, well, Laura says, this is our featured question of the week. This question comes from Amy Fortney Parks. She says, how do I build a good mix of marketing mediums? For example, Facebook ads, in-person flyers, email campaigns, blogs, etc. What is a good balance that will also net results? Great question, Amy. Also great person, awesome therapist. Um, how do I build a good mix of marketing mediums and what is a good balance that will also net results? All right. Um, again, if you guys have, have listened to me talk about this before and introduced my marketing plan, my simple, simple marketing plan, this is how we break it down. Your marketing plan is essentially centered around 
two, two sides, right? One side is lead generation. So doing things that actively generate leads and get in front of people looking for therapy right freaking now. The other one is brand awareness, getting in front of people just to stay present in their minds. Okay. Find some examples of both, right? So for my, my, um, for my marketing plan, you list out every single thing you could do to promote your practice. And then you pick two for each side. Two for lead generating could be something like Google AdWords. Um, and then two for brand recognition could be something like you're posting to your Instagram and um, sending out your email newsletter to people who already know about you. Simple as that, right? Um, what is a good balance that will also net results? Again, I think a balance is doing about two things on either side. Again, depending on your size, depending on how aggressive you want to be with your marketing, etc. Um, but that's that's how you create some balance. Don't do too much. That's that's my biggest piece of advice. Don't try to do too much. I'd rather you do one thing on each side really well, like crushing it with Facebook ads or crushing it with Google ads on one side, and then um, you know sending out consistent email newsletters to your email list for brand recognition. I'd rather you just do two things you know, then try to do too much and keep yourself scattered. I'm not a big fan of like in-person flyers and brochures and just that kind of guerrilla style marketing. I just think it's, I don't know, I think it kind of turns people off for, for what we are selling, which is therapy. Um, I just don't think it works really well. It's hard to measure. It's just, it, you guys know me, it's just not my favorite way to build a business. Um, I'm, I'm a digital kind of dude for the most part. So I'm going to focus a lot on lead generation and then I'm going to focus on keeping that audience warmed up and keeping my brand present in their minds through things like email marketing. Um, or if you are going to do social media for your practice, which you know is another hot button issue for me, um, then again, know why you're doing it. Um, organic social media, I should say, not paid advertising social media. It's important to know the difference and know how the two are different. So that's how you build a marketing, uh, a marketing plan that works. You got to 80, 20, everything. I think I talked about this recently, but you have to 80, 20, everything in your business. It's this idea that 20% of your results come from, wait, 80% of your results come from 20% of your efforts. Um, it's the tomato farmer who, who realized that 80% of his yield was coming from 20% of his seeds. It's the same thing for you and your business and especially your marketing and where you're spending your time with your marketing. Um, there's generally, there generally is that a 20% that you can find in there that is yielding 80% of your results. So your job is to figure out what that is and to move confidently forward in that direction and, and ignore the rest, ignore all the other bullshit and shiny objects and things that you think other people are doing and feeling like, oh, I should be doing a brochure or whatever. Just cutting that out, you know, and looking at your bottom line and going, how many, how many, you know, new calls do I need to get in a week? And and then what is the 20% of what I'm doing that's resulting in those, that number of calls each week? It's simple. It's really simple. And don't be so married to ideas that aren't working just because you spent $200 on a, you know, a beautiful flyer or whatever. Don't be so married to it that, that you can't let it go when it's not working. 
you know, um, we have to be willing to let go of things that aren't working or things more commonly things that were working at some point, but are not working now that happens all the time as well. So there you go, guys, man, I got fired up, huh? I started just very, very childlike and innocent under this mound of pillows. And then I got fired up, super fired up. Uh, I hope you guys are enjoying the show. I've gotten some good feedback lately, which has been awesome for me. Um, it, it, well, I say awesome for me. It's, it's just been enlightening for me to get feedback at all. Um, because even though we do look at numbers and we do see that there's a lot of therapists listening to this show every week, week after week, um, it's not every day that we get this very detailed feedback of people saying, I like this about this past show or this past episode, or I like that you had some banter and then some value or whatever, um, or balancing solo episodes with, um, interviews. So, you know, we're, we're finding our groove, but if you've got thoughts, if you've got feedback, let us know, you know, we'd love to hear from you. So, so find us on Instagram, tag me, DM me, uh, find me on Facebook. I'm very, very active on Facebook. It's John Clark LPC is my name on Facebook. Um, and so I'd love to see you there. And then of course, join the Facebook group and then add me. So the johnclark.com forward slash FB group to join the Facebook community of over 2000 and some therapists and growing good place to ask questions, get help. I do some Facebook lives in there. Um, and, and you can ask your questions to be answered on the show. Um, again, guys, slots for the business made human group are filling up very quickly. I've got just a couple left and I, and I want to fill them in the next couple days. Um, so if you're interested, if you want to be a part of our community, you want to get weekly support with me, meeting with me in this mastermind group online every single week, um, be a part of a community, be a part of a community of therapists who are going through what you're going through and be able to grow together in community with other therapists, then this is the group for you. Go to thejohnclark.com forward slash work with me fill out the general application there. We'll take a look. And if, if it seems like you might be a good fit, then um, we'll get in touch. Again, it's an affordable group. That's part of the business made human philosophy is making things affordable um, and really offering a lot of value for what you are paying. So um, I'd love to hear from you, get in touch. Um, and I think that's it. Yeah. Um, rate, review, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you are listening. Um, don't forget to check out the YouTube channel and, um, that's probably enough calls to action. It's probably one, one too many calls to action for the week. Um, anyway, guys, I, I appreciate you a lot. Um, I hope you are having a, I hope you're going to have a, a great week. Hope you're having a great Monday so far. Stay tuned for an interview coming up, interview episode coming up this Wednesday. That's in two days. Uh, have a great week guys. Thanks for being here. I'll see you soon. Cheers. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the John Clark cast. I'm your host, John Clark, licensed therapist, brand builder, marketing consultant, and guide for therapists. I help therapists build a better business without all the overwhelm. Do us a big favor and rate, review, and subscribe to our show on iTunes. Hope you have a great week. See you next time.